Hi, everybody in podcast land and also on YouTube. I'm James. I'm David. It's me, it's me, Riley. Oh, my God. And this is the Carpool Critics Movie Podcast. Today, we're talking about the second Stephen King adaptation. Shawshank Redemption 2. No, we did. We did. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> ah, you ruined everything. We did Dr. Sleep before. That's based oh, on I see. a Stephen King right. book. That's what I'm going for But here. Stephen King didn't write the screenplay. No. Frank Darabont did. Yeah, and actually, this uh, the Shawshank Redemption apparently is Stephen King's favorite adaptation of one of his novels. Really? A lot of times he hates it. He hates The Shining. I had no idea it was a Stephen King uh, shindig until after I finished watching it. Oh, wow. And Green Mile, too. Similar movie. So, David, what are you going to give this movie out of 10? Shawshank Redemption is a veritable cinematic feast with some of the sweetest just desserts I've ever tasted. 8.9 out of 10. These damn slogans are getting punnier every time. <laughs> every time. 8.9, eh? 8.9. Wow. wow. Um, and you had to do that because that's what the critics say. I just attack you right <laughs> off the bat. Yeah. Every time. No, this is a good movie. It's got a lot is of... Is it? It sure is. It sure okay, is. Okay, Riley, and I know you're <laughs> being a jerk. Yeah. Let's hear him out, Riley. What do you got? <clears throat> oh, where's my slogan? Okay. I just wrote a slogan in two minutes. In this episode, Shawshank proves you don't need to be a cynic to save a prison from a deadly bomb. And that's the Shawshank Redemption. Eight out of ten. A bomb? Huh? A bomb? The bomb of cynicism. Ah. <laughs> that took you two minutes? Jesus. James! <laughs> that sucked. Jeez Louise. Here's my slogan. Have a heart. Fine acting, fine twist, fine cinematography. Shawshank never drops the soap, but it also doesn't give you much to write home about. Oh my god. I'm giving it an eight. Oh. I did not expect to be the one that liked this movie the most. I am <laughs> really? like historically a, not a hater, but like a a questioner. A, I hate this An inquisitor movie. as to why this is the number one rated movie on IMDb. I know, oh. I know why it is. It's just exactly what I just said, because there's nothing to be mad about. It's just all good. Like, how, what could you be mad about in this movie? I agree. It's all fine. But I think it, it also has... The term bull queers, maybe? <laughs> BQs? <laughs> BQs. They, they the have 40s. their own borough in oh West Van. Oh, man. I'm just joking. I think this movie succeeds because it has something for everyone. It's not that it's inoffensive. It's that it is very uh, mindful at giving people of all understandings and, and ways of thinking something to digest. And there's actual meat that anyone from any walk of life can appreciate. Like the themes are so universal mm. uh, and the ideas and the presentation is both very elaborate and complex and high level filmmaking, but it's also really simple so that people who've like only watched like five movies can get it. And I think that's a real strength of the movie mm -hmm. uh, that I, I don't particularly love, but apparently I'm the biggest <laughs> lover here. So I, I found myself, I don't know, be, yeah, being kind of bored. Like I, it's, 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 it's a good movie. I recognize the the, the um, admirable qualities of it. I like the hope versus fear theme. I like the commentary on the prison system and institutionalization and whether we are actually doing anything useful with that. But watching the movie through, it's just kind of like, nah, now we're in this scene, now we're in this scene. It doesn't really grip you. It's not like, oh, what happens next? Because I think the first hour is like, there's no actual story. Mm -hmm. You're kind of just like seeing the prison life. But anyways, before we get into all that, can you just uh, remind us what this movie's about, what happens? Yeah, if that's okay with you, James. I just asked you to do it. Hopefully so hopefully, hopefully, this doesn't suck. Screw you, man. 
1947, banker Andy Dufresne is wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife and her lover and is sentenced to two life sentences at Shawshank, the Hogwarts of prisons. (laughs) (laughs) And I only wrote that because that first, uh, like, helicopter shot, like, going over the prison, it seemed kind of magical. It seemed like the Hogwarts shot. We need an edit of this movie with the Harry Potter music. (laughs) I saw Pegasus in the background. (laughs) What? You said... Oh. You're a wizard, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wizard, Andy. Despite the harsh conditions and rapey inmates, Andy manages to keep something deep inside him that no one can get to. No, it's not contraband. It's hope. With his unbreakable <laughs> He's will. He's mewling hope. <laughs> with his unbreakable will and financial savvy, Andy makes the lives of everyone at the prison better, except Boggs. But he had it coming. That was the guy. That was it. And Andy eventually escapes the prison, telling his best friend Red to come find him in Mexico, which he does, showing that prison can be a cakewalk if you're a smart banker. Or his friend, played by Morgan Freeman. (laughs) Well, yeah, once Andy showed up, he made everyone's lives better. He got him a library. Now you can read. That time he played the opera music? Oh, man. What a nice guy. Andy Dufresne. I'm going to keep trying. (laughs) I think every time, we have to make a rule, like a drinking game, where every time we say Andy Dufresne, we have to say it. In the Morgan Freeman voice. <laughs> yeah, we try. You guys still haven't tried. I'm the only one putting myself Andy out here. Andy Dufresne. <laughs> I, I am not doing Morgan Freeman's voice, but I will say it with like a kind of drawl. I, I will do that. Okay. All right. All Next right. time. Andy Dufresne. <laughs> guys, I think this movie is exemplary in one big thing, but we should get to our sponsor first. Oh, oh what a hook. Cliffhanger. We are brought to you by Private Internet Access VPN. PIA helps you hide your true IP address so you can bypass geo restrictions and censorship. You can connect up to five devices at once, and it includes an internet kill switch, Riley. Oh. If your VPN gets disconnected involuntarily. PIA is available for Windows, Mac, Android, iOS, and even as a Chrome extension, so check it out at lmg.gg slash carpoolpia. Did that sound like a kill switch? That was great. Somebody died. That was somebody dying. I, w- I liked it because it was you for a second there. And there was just two critics. No backseat drivers. What? What are you talking Me about? Me and David driving off till sunset. Thelma Oh, because I died and now you're left. You get it. That's, Math. That's rude, James. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell me, David. Yeah, what? I think this movie is exemplary in how it does scenes and sequences. Uh, so in you movie- son of a, you just looks at us like we're just we're just looking at him like okay tell us what that is scenes and sequences that's that's what a movie is made up of right yeah that's the smallest building block of a movie well there we go wow it's no like- I, I think what this movie does really well is it does setups and immediate twists or kind of changes of what you're expecting subversion I guess uh, really well where like in a scene. Like you think of Johnny being killed, that sequence. So the warden goes to Johnny and's like, or like he needs to talk to Johnny. So that's kind of a bad thing. Johnny was that uh, younger dude. Who, is the younger he's dude. the one who comes in the prison and happens to know the truth, the true yeah. story. And yeah. then of how um, Andrew Dufresne was framed. <laughs> exactly. Framed. Uh, and so Andy goes to the warden's like, hey, this guy has this information. Uh, do you think we can maybe talk to that guy? Get me out. Warden doesn't want that because Andy's an invaluable piece to his machinery now. Right. And so... Warden asks to see Johnny. That's kind of a bad thing. You're like, oh, what's going on? And then he's like, Johnny, are you going to testify? Like, will you testify for, before court? And Johnny's like, yeah, anything. I'll do anything for Andy. And you're like building up this positive feeling. And then out of the shadow comes a shooter. Yeah. Boom, 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 oh, boom. Oh, man. The captain him. guard. He's evil. And you're like, oh, it's so bad. And Jeez. so th- it does like this building and this roller coaster of emotion, I think, really well. Where like there's lots of examples of that. Like where 
the big twist of the movie uh, where you think that Andy has killed himself. He's gotten the rope. He's been in his room. He has that shot where he's holding the rope and he looks up and you're like, oh, yeah, he's killed himself. Right. Um, but really, he's just sending into motion this escape plan. And it does such a good job of like bringing you into this pit of despair. And then as the payoff, it totally flips it, takes all that negative emotion and makes it this big release of emotional satisfaction. Mm. And I mean, like, I think that's one of the moments that is why people love this movie so much is that those big, huge, deep uh, emotional payoffs that you get because they are, they're playing this game of positive negative so well. You know what's so funny? I just didn't feel any of that on this rewatch. Like maybe, and I, and, and I don't remember feeling that the first time I watched either. Like I watched the, this for the first time a long time ago. I mean, it must have been like 2000, 2006 or something, 2007. We don't care. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's because it's been like 13 years or something, and I don't really remember super well, but I don't remember having that emotional uh, entanglement with it. I remember watching it because I knew it was a classic and just kind of like being taken along on this like sort of slow cart ride <laughs> through through something that I was was supposed to make me feel something but didn't really. And then this time through, especially because I knew everything that happens, I just didn't feel I didn't feel it the same way. And and I don't think that's that's 100% because of the fact that I'm rewatching it because I can rewatch movies like Lord of the Rings and, and <laughs> that cry. one really gets me going. And, and what, dude, <laughs> tugs my strings is such a nerd. Dude. Every time it dude, Return of the King, so ah. when Sam lifts Frodo and carries Frodo up the rest of the mountain, I cry every single time. Give me your impression of it. No. Okay. Oh, 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 yeah. You've seen me. You've yep. heard me do that before. Do it. I might not be able to carry the ring, Mr. Frodo, but I can carry you. And then he <laughs> <laughs> picks him up with the strength of a mother. Oh man. Anyways, Brother, so man. like, I didn't really, didn't really feel that emotion this time. I don't know. It was, uh, and I don't know why. Well, I think that's fair. I mean, like, emotion is such a, a fickle thing. Like, you can rewatch the same movie on a different day and just have entirely different emotional reactions. Yeah, sometimes you're just not that sensitive yeah. to whatever content you're maybe. trying to consume, you know? But I also feel like maybe, I don't know, What did, uh, were you emotionally engaged, James? Ah, <sighs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't feel I, emotions. I, one part that stands out to me is, and I kind of had a, a vague memory of this from the first time I had seen it, which was long ago, where I, rem I remember that somebody got out of prison and hanged themselves. And I remember that they carved their name into the wood. And I mm. think that's even in a Simpsons episode or it something. Like that. <laughs> but, uh, this whole movie is um, did it first. <laughs> and I remember that part being pretty sweet. I like that sequence. It's about the midpoint of the movie. I guess it, the midpoint usually is when the stakes get raised. And I guess this serves to do that a bit. Brooks, who's like been incarcerated at Shawshank for like 50 years. He's like mm -hmm. 80. He gets out of the prison and he has this monologue of like his life he's, he's writing a letter to the prisoner the other prisoners and there's some cool stuff in that monologue like he talks about how life has gotten so busy now and he almost gets like hit by a car and he's like i saw an automobile when i was a kid once but now they're everywhere yeah, yeah and i funny. thought wow <laughs> that is crazy like that could uh, not yeah. really happen today because you would be in prison with the television and stuff like that right but back then when like maybe newspapers yeah just a technology just becoming so pervasive your, and your entire defining life. the built environment that would yeah. be insane. It, your entire life is, it's like you go into prison and then time just stops and then you come back 50 years older. And it's just like, when he said that about the car, I'm just like, this is a kid. He's like a kid coming back into the world, yeah. having his that most of his life stolen away from him.
Yeah. He would have been like in his early 20s or something when he got incarcerated. And yeah. this isn't in the movie, but I think in the book it's set up that he uh, he kills like his wife and kid after going on like a gambling bender and losing all his money or something, oh, really? something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But he, obviously he's just a different person when he comes out, you know? Yeah. But the cool thing about the end of that story is like he kills himself because like, he says in his letter, I wish I could go home. Yeah. Shawshank is home. Yeah. And now he's out in the world where he's nobody because as red puts it he's been institutionalized where mm-hmm. like he can only exist in, in the institution yep. i i don't know how emotional that was for me but it was the most illuminating part it was the, right. the part that made me go like wow that was the part where the movie where i'm kind of like oh maybe this is what it's about because i definitely had a hard time understanding what why why we're watching this what's going on yeah and i think the reason is because there's no to me it wasn't there wasn't a clear arc there wasn't a clear inward or outward journey for the main character. Mm. I've kind of figured it out now, but while we're watching it, especially for the first hour, like before it's revealed that he might actually have a chance to get out and have his name cleared, before that, it's kind of just like him surviving in the jail, and you're like, yeah, what? I- what are we working toward here? Yeah, really, right? And I also didn't. I also wasn't super engaged with him as a character because I was like, we see many examples of Andy being smarter than the other inmates and them kind of being like whoa who's this guy oh he's he's so special or whatever and i was just kind of like what what's the takeaway here that like people of privilege <laughs> are better off or something see i i think you guys are kind of missing it a little bit because the movie isn't from andy's perspective it's a, a movie from red's perspective looking at andy and so but andy never, is the protagonist yeah he's the active person he's on the quest but he's not the one that's having an inward journey it's red who's realizing that like he is in prison in a soul and that he has to liberate himself from that. Andy is free from the beginning to the end, except for like few moments of like, of I disagree. They, they both have their own inward journey and they're parallel. And so to me, the movie is about, um, it's actually the theme wise, the most similar movie we've covered on this podcast to that. Can you guess what it is? Star Wars. Dr. Doolittle. Grand Budvest Hotel. Okay. To me, this movie and Andy's big arc is about, humanity he comes in as a human when uh that fat ass dies at the beginning as they call him um he's literally he's the only is in the credits as fat ass ass. (laughs) (laughs) okay that guy when he's he's losing his mind crying and everything um he actually says i want to go home to my mommy yeah i was like okay it's a a little on the nose (laughs) I yeah. don't know what that. There's a there's a bunch of stuff that's on the nose, but continue. When the guy dies in the morning, everyone's like, "Yeah, like he's basically just objectified. Like, give me my smokes, I won." Uh, yeah. And oh, it turns out the guy died. Right. Oh, okay, that kind of sucks, but whatever. Yeah. Don't get too attached to these people. They're mm-hmm. just fish. And he's the only one who takes a moment to try to humanize the guy and says, "What was his name?" Right. Right. So that's our first glimpse of him as a character. Like he is a human. Uh, that's right. what, that's what I'm going to say. He has humanity, whereas the opposite is Red, who he's accepted that to survive in this institution, he's just going to adapt to it, mm-hmm. and he's not going to hope for much. Mm-hmm. Whereas the whole battle with Andy is that he is going to not lose his humanity while he's in the institution, and so the, the his whole battle, the whole arc, is him getting hit with more and more things that might erode his humanity and turn him into just like a warehoused shell of a man, right? right? Like he gets repeatedly raped. He gets set into the the, the climax of it. The hardest part for him to deal with in in the second half of act two is when he gets sent to the hole for a whole month and then another month on top of it. Like that would just totally destroy and shatter someone's mind, right? But then... Not Andy. In the end, 
he retains his humanity and he escapes and gets to run free and be yeah. in the, get pelted by the rain in that shitty swamp going, yeah! Right. Every man has his breaking point, but not Andy, apparently. That, that's what I find so interesting about, about the character is that like, why is he so, why is he, why is he like this? Why, is he, why does he have an unbreakable will? I kind of wanted to know that. A I bit. think though that's like like what I was saying. It's because you're watching the movie from the perspective of Red. You don't get insight into his personal life. You only get what Red understood of him. Those conversations they had. Mm. You never really get like moments of Andy breaking down. You don't get like deep like monologues from Andy because it's not like a movie about. It's a movie about him, but it's not a movie about his inward journey. It's about his consistency through all of this, he's which changes to, Red. He's supposed to remain mysterious a little bit i think so i he's, think that's part of what they're going for he's like the ideal that we should strive towards i definitely love the the moral of the story like that's that's what i'm all about which is in your opinion which is it which is hope versus cynicism it's like okay the the world sucks should we just accept that and try and like kind of go with the flow and accept that everything sucks and so we suck too or do we fight against that and yeah and like have a concerted effort to be more which is why right. i think it's like grand budapest hotel mm. where we're, we were talking about how gustav in that movie is just like he is doing work and being disciplined so that he can create this higher culture right and that's what we see andy do like he's gonna he put his, he's gonna stick his neck out just so he can have beers on the roof with these guys right. he's gonna stick his neck out and go get sent to the hole just so he can play opera music for these guys for a minute yeah yeah I mean, in both cases like yeah in in grand budapest it's these fascists that are coming down on right. them and and both those characters are saying like we are not gonna succumb mm. and become animals right uh, you know just because of this shitty circumstance i love how they slowly reveal andy's character like the first time he does something for the other people, you can kind of interpret it as he's playing the game. He's being smart. He's trying to get on the, the favor of the guards, his prison fellows, trying to make some friends. Yeah. But then the second time he sticks his neck out, there's nothing to be gained from it. He he gets the the bins of of books and music, and he plays the music for the whole courtyard. And it's a great scene. Like it's one of the few aerial shots of the movie, uh, and it goes over the prison. Everyone's just totally still listening to this Mozart music. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's trying to get in and be like, "Hey, stop the music! Stop the music!" And he just turns up the music. But that's, I think, for me, a big moment for understanding kind of who he is that he isn't just playing the game that like he does care for these people and he he mm -hmm. he's not just selfish selfish and doing all this stuff uh and I, I for me that's where like i think i start to he starts to win me over where the stuff he does makes me feel more and more uh and i admire him uh more deeply where the emotional stuff that's happening to him matters more to me but do you think he changes though no totally. I, his arc for me is just like is stay the same yeah. You know, stay the course. Don't get worn down by the storm. Yeah. But he doesn't actually have to... I guess he changes insofar as he says blatantly, I was a law-abiding citizen until I got to jail, and then I started breaking the law when he's right. embezzling or, you know, doing... When he's laundering the money or when he's, like, escaping. I think, though, like, that's kind of what I've been saying, that he doesn't have the arc. It's Red that has the arc of change. And he is uh, a force... He's a rock for Red to be pushed against and to be shaped into a man that believes in freedom. That does kind of make it an interesting story structure where it's like our protagonist, you you expect him to go through an arc. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the protagonist the, the, the protagonist is the ideal that normally the protagonist is striving towards. Well, yeah. And, and I think in this one, the, the, the ideal is a person and a supporting character is it has the arc. I, I, and I, think I in don't a, really think about that until In now. a tragedy, the tragedy version of this where Andy Dufresne does kill himself, then he would have the arc. He would have the arc where 
all men can be beaten, right. all can, ha- and then you can have that. But because he seemingly has an arc into negativity, and it, they flip it, and it's no, he is as good a man as he ever was. Yeah, uh, it really has a huge emotional payoff. Well, he also he started off not perfect, right? He's in jail. Yeah, he was gonna go kill his wife. He waited outside of her house with a mm. gun, like he's not a perfect person. So maybe right. that gives him a little more of an arc. I oh, forgot that yeah. he had the gun in the car. And you're right. He does have an arc. Yeah, I think he end, he leaves prison a better person than he enters. I had a question. Yeah, he definitely like realizes that he tr- like he was like I didn't I didn't treat her right yeah. or whatever. What do you guys think of in the the court scene uh Andy says, "Oh, I I was there with the gun and the drinking, but I stepped out of my car and I got back in and I left." Uh and I threw the gun in the ravine. And the lawyer's like, "Well, isn't that just so you're saying that the person that killed is just a fanciful coincidence that it happened the same night uh, and this murderer killed your wife. Uh, what do you guys think about that? That it was just a coincidence. That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's dumb too. I I don't like that. I thought it was pretty thin when Tommy is recounting the story of the person who actually did do the murder. What, the guy, he works at the golf course or something? No, he got a job at the golf course. Just to be able to case houses of rich people. Right, and then... And then he goes and kills this guy. Um, but it doesn't really have to be that compelling because it really isn't what the movie's about. If the movie was centered around, um, you know, Andy getting his freedom back and like being redeemed and exonerated, then then I would want more out of it. But That's it kind of it kind of can be just uh, a neat little. Yeah, this is enough. Yeah. I As for the coincidence thing, I feel like uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe that was more acceptable in 1994. We're just like, okay, we just have this kind of ridiculous setup and that's just the way it is. Let's move on. I just thought it was real bold that they even acknowledge that it's a fanciful coinkitink. Are you supposed to relate to Andy more though? Because then it's like, he he's a good guy. It's just bad luck. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Another thing from that court scene though that immediately kind of got my attention and I can't figure out if this is just because of the, the era the movie was made or if it's really purposeful. The judge calls him cold. No, oh, okay. I actually didn't think the judge was very believable, but I the attorney, to... the prosecutor is like, he's talking to the jurors and he's he's describing how uh, the crime and he's like, these people who died, they were sinners because they were adultering. Mm. They were sinners, but their punishment didn't fit that crime. They don't deserve to be dead right now. And I thought, wow, okay, I understand like in that era why he would say they're sinners. Right. And, but then, but what's going on with the religious overtones in this movie? And then later when we meet the warden, the warden's like, I got one rule. Mm. You don't blaspheme. I'm like, (laughs) okay, so there's like a, that's a second thing now. I'm like, and I haven't figured this out. Maybe David, you you know a little more about this. What is, what is going on with with religion and God in this movie? There's certainly some fan theories where Andy Dufresne represents Jesus. Uh, I was going to make that comparison earlier. Yeah, where he has a symbolic death and a rebirth into freedom. He was wrongly incarcerated, wrongly convicted. Uh, Frank Darabont has been very clear that that's not true. Uh, and is like, I love that everyone's looking into it this deeply, but it's yeah. not true. I think that that, that kind of thing is like, I was saying, I was saying that, um, Andy's the ideal that we strive towards. And I think that, uh, the Jesus story is kind of like that sort of mythological level of, so there's so many Christ figures, mm-hmm. you know, any figure that is up there, you know, being this like moral ideal, sacrificing themselves, it's like the the comparison is always going to be drawn. And I'd say even clear to me that like this movie is not about religion or spirituality is the scene. And this is such a good scene 
when the warden first has Andy's cell stripped apart uh, and they can't find the rock thing. But you know the rock, the rock chipper is there and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, they're going to find it. Uh, and he's holding his Bible. He was just reading. And the, the warden takes it. He's like, what's your favorite verse? Uh, and at, at the end of the conversation, he hands it back and he's like, salvation yeah. lies within. Yeah. Uh, and at the end, it's revealed that that's where he kept the rock chipper was inside the Bible. Hollowed out. Man, that I didn't see that coming at oh, all. So good. But I, I, to me, that that spells that it's not about religion. It's about what you make yourself. Right. And it's about what you put in that book yourself. I, I wrote down when he handed the thing back and he's like, salvation lies within. I, I didn't know what, what that would mean later because I forgot, but I wrote down like salvation lies within. What's in there? What's in the Bible? <laughs> Another parallel actually is the fact that the warden's safe where all of the fraudulent records are being kept is yeah. behind a religious parable. Mm-hmm. And, then, and in, in Andy's cell, his route to freedom is behind a po- hidden behind a yeah. poster. There's kind uh, of a yeah, parallel yeah. imagery there. Right. And yeah. the, the, the crochet that his his safe is behind says judgment cometh to the person or what I forget what it says. It says something about judgment cometh. Yeah, he's whistling a hymn that's like our God is a mighty fortress. And it, it all the all the Bible verses he cherry picks are all about God being strong strong arm brute yeah. who forces people to do stuff. Because that's the God he has as the the cruel warden. That's the God he imagines from the Bible that he's reading. Uh I'm so I was so confused. I I'm confused by these characters because he doesn't seem like a very religious person otherwise. It seems like he's it's kind of his shtick. It's like, don't blaspheme, I'm, I care about God, blah, blah, blah. But really, he's the most evil person ever. And he never mentions religion or God at any other time other than to, like, scold Andy about something. Well, that's what religion's all about, Oh, Riley. that's Power. what James thinks. Anyway, I was going to say that uh, the warden is so well, cu- well cast. Bob Gunton. Mm. Gunt, man, you are... <laughs> You are so good at being an evil <laughs> warden. His face is just—he's like a really evil. Who's that guy that did Ben Stein, the Visine yeah. commercial guy? He's like a like a Bueller guy. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. like an evil version of him. <laughs> I, I think what I love about him he too boring. is he doesn't start off pure evil. You're kind of like you're not sure how to feel about him, yeah, but yeah. his descent into like full on evil is pretty believable to me. It never feels like funny or like silly. Uh, I'm like I. I can see really? this guy doing that because I definitely felt like him and the um, captain. Captain. Captain's like, a bit of a caricature. Cap- Cartoo- yeah, yeah I think cartoony less violence. Like we're just being evil oh, because cartoony. It looked pretty brutal, man. Well, I mean, cartoony in the sense that it's like, is I couldn't understand their real life motivations if such a thing could exist. You know, like uh, they 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 seem like blank characters that were just filled with malice for no reason so i mean that's kind of an interesting jumping point for the difference between the novella and the movie Mm. so in the novella there's like a bunch of different wardens through andy's stay uh and that guard hadley is retired long before the end of the book uh and so they had to movieify the story and kind of take all the bad things that all the wardens did and put it into one person but then still have him kind of have a thing that you can see which was religion Mm. uh and they had to make hadley more uh, heightened as a henchman, which is kind of a movie trope where your henchman is your most violent uh, person. And so that it's, it makes this more movie-ish, right. uh, which I think makes it more accessible to a lot of people where they, they get that gut feeling of like, oh, I hate them. And when they get caught at the end, you're like, oh yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, but th- that's kind of what I mean when I say cartoony, where it's like, I can under, I, I see past the, the veil a little bit and say like, and, and see exactly what they're trying to do. Like, this is just a straight up bad guy because the movie needs a bad guy. Totally. It's, it's, 
it's not concrete enough to have the movie just be the prison system or yeah. humanity's weakness. I, yeah, I wouldn't say it has this to movie, be a bad guy that can beat up people. This movie isn't particularly sophisticated in its script. I think it's well written and the themes are very clear. I think it's really good at leaving no thread. Uh, it's like Gangnam Style. It's like a hell of a pop song. Yeah. <laughs> hey? yeah. I think that's what you're getting at when you say it's just like a very, very good mainstream movie. Totally. Yeah. yeah it's like you're saying, Riley. It's, it's, it can't be abstract to the extent that it's the prison system that's the en- enemy. Right. It has to be personified in like this one character caricature of a guy who just beats the crap out of everything. Yeah. Even when you're giving him like great financial advice, he has to hold you off the edge of a building. He's like, um, he's like Biff. In, in Back to the Future. <laughs> kind of looks yeah. like him, too. He's yeah. Like beautiful Biff. Yeah. Clancy Brown. Yeah. A young Clancy Brown. That's Hadley. Has he been in other stuff? Oh, yeah. He's, who is that guy? It's Clancy Brown. I don't know who that is. He's, uh, he's Tom's son. Who? Tom Clancy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's not how that works. One thing. <laughs> yeah, you hand off your first name. Yeah. It changes. David, uh, uh, hold on. I want to hear Riley tell me like his, his like uh, famous four. Give me the list of things he's famous for. Oh, known, known for. I got it. I got it. Known for Shawshank Redemption, Starship Troopers. That's where it uh, is. Thor Ragnarok, and then Warcraft. Oh, he's been he's been in a ton of stuff, and like he's the type of actor who who is just in so many things in small roles, and then like a few big roles. So like you see him everywhere. He was in The Mandalorian. He was the he what? was the Devonian, the guy with the big ho- the That's horns. That's probably like the uh, ideal level of famous. Yeah. Ideal. He 100%. goes to all these parties. He gets to hang out with all these people. Yep. He's got the respect. He's getting paid. He's going to the grocery store. But you don't recognize him you on the street. You are not going to recognize him. <laughs> Doesn't even have to wear a hat. Yeah. The yeah. scene with him and Andy, the first time that Andy offers a service, I think that's a... On the rooftop? Yeah. I don't like that scene where he... I, I found this like a very amateur screenwriter thing where there's like an artificial drama that's created because of how the scene starts where Andy walks up and he's like, do you trust your wife? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Do you trust your wife? Yeah. And it's like, why in hell would you start the conversation that way? Like yeah. that makes no sense. It's so silly. And then you've got his gang of friends being like, Andy, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Don't totally. do it, Andy. No, Andy, you're a crazy man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you trust your filthy wife, yeah. Mr. Captain? <laughs> it's so silly and it's like it exists Go just ahead, to create off. the drama of having him on the edge, which is a good visual, but yeah. it's just uh. <laughs> I that's definitely I think that's is that is that a relic of the time? I think it's a bit aged. I don't yeah. think you would write that now. Because nowadays, I think we would try to make those characters talk a little bit more realistically. Like, what would someone actually say in this situation if they were trying to help this this guard? And if he's going to come off like so brutally like that, then it's got to be like a part of his character that he's socially inept or something. You know? Right, I mean? right, right, right. He just he's a numbers guy. He just doesn't yeah. really understand human ra- interaction. But, but Andy's, Andy shows himself to be fairly charismatic, you know? Speaking of people who have been in stuff, but you don't know, like what happened to Tim Robbins anyway? He was like pretty big in the in the nineties. He's still he acting. Kinda, I know. I looked at his is IMDb. He? he is still acting, but I haven't seen him because he's leading man in this. Like he's he was pretty big. And what was that other one he was in? Wasn't he in like a The Player? He was in like a comedy. The Player. Whoa. <laughs> he was in like a like a buddy comedy where they're, they're like the no ca- something cash. <laughs> <laughs> they're like it's like a road trip. There's oh, some man. crime, some money. I'm, I'm, I don't know. Op- I'm, I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm not gonna know. Bull Durham. Did he have a cameo in Zoolander? This is a cameo in a lot of stuff. I think that's really the only time I've seen him, probably in recent memory. <laughs> that's recent memory. Yeah. That's 20 years ago, man. <laughs> Zoolander wasn't 20 years ago. He's when did yeah. he come out? 2005, 2002, I think. 
Yeah, that's not... Tw- it's 18 years, man. What? 18 years. Oh, my God. It's 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> mumbles are not going to make the it. Last, the last thing I, I, I recognize from his IMDb is Portlandia, which is 2012. <laughs> that's a long time ago. S- still acting, Tim. though. He was in Castle Rock, the Stephen King uh, series. Hmm. Lots of TV. He's yeah. been doing TV. He's good. I don't. F- he was up for an Oscar, and some people say he was robbed by Tom Hanks. But I think Tom Hanks deserved. Tom Hanks turned down this role. Yeah, he was doing Forrest Gump. Really, I think, I think it was a good choice. See, I think, yeah, I, See, I, I like this- Tim Robbins in this, and I like uh, Hanks. Yeah. Hanks could have done it though. He totally could have done it for sure. Well, I mean, he was in the next Frank Darabont prison movie anyway. So which one was that? Uh, Green Mile. Oh, okay, so, but he was a guard. Yeah, that guy loves different. prison. <laughs> and then Walking that, Dead has prison in it. Same director. Wow. And uh, the other person who almost got this was uh, Kevin Costner, but he was tied up doing Waterworld. Oh, what a uh, mistake. But I think mistake. Kevin Costner wouldn't have brought the same energy to this movie. He, He's not like... Yeah. He can do quiet, but he's like badass quiet. He's not like, um, I don't Kevin know, hum- humble enough. I think... I, it was funny. Watching this movie, I kind of wonder if you guys will agree with this. Tim Robbins has a little bit of a Ryan Gosling thing going on in this movie where he's like mm. very neutral. He expresses very little, but he provides a lot. And yeah. I think Kevin Costner is much better as like a typical leading man where he's like emoting a lot and bringing you there. And he's got lots of charisma. Right. But I think that's not the point of this movie. And I think he would have totally been wrong for Tim this Robbins, role. Tim Robbins definitely has more of that sort of like unreadable face where you're like, what's going on in there? What are you thinking? Yeah. He's yeah. just kind of like, I don't know. That fits the character. <laughs> Whereas Costner would have been like, he, he would have been quiet, but his just his vibe and aura is too powerful. You would have yeah. been like, Look at this bad motherfucker. What is he? I think yeah. the What's Ra- he thinking? Yeah. The Ryan Gosling uh, comparison is very no. is apt, I Certainly think. Certainly not as handsome. Do you know who else was almost in this movie? Was John Favreau as the fat ass. No. <laughs> <laughs> a young fat just, Favreau. Just it, missed out on the it, fat he, ass. He said role. it was the worst audition he ever did, and after that <laughs> after doing the audition, he went on a huge health kick and lost a bunch <laughs> of weight. That was like good for him. That's hilarious. Well, if I can't get cast as fat ass, <laughs> there's no point <laughs> keeping this stuff around. Oh my gosh. What did you guys think of the? Did this did this movie make you think about the prison system? Because that's one of the main takeaways I took away. I was like, should we, should we be jailing people for this long? Like, and and what underlined that really is Red going into the parole board every time and being like, then being like, are you rehabilitated? And he's like, yes. Please let me go now. I'm clearly fine. And they're like, not yet, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like. It's only when he's like, I don't give a damn. Yeah. They're like, approved. Yeah. As soon as he's like willing to actually like say he doesn't give a shit anymore. I don't think t- it makes me question the prison system that much. The The world this movie builds is a little too cartoony mm. to feel like it's a criticism of our prison system. Like I'm watching The Wire right now and it's like that's a much more like relevant to our world. And there's been so much more media where it feels like I'm watching a real prison. This is like. It's brutal and it's vicious, but it doesn't f- ever feel like right. it exists time more to be a metaphor. And yeah, the only aspects of it that have any kind of realism to them are the the warehousing of people aspects, like you're right. talking about. Like they're there for thirty years. Yeah, and I guess like I don't think the movie really really puts those questions forward. I mean, you're asking them, but I guess. Well, do you think prison should be punitive or rehabilitative, or is it just right. there to warehouse people that you don't want on the streets? That's the question. I mean. I I think it should be more rehabilitative instead of punitive, but uh, I I think I agree with you guys that the movie doesn't really it it suffers from well it's not so much its age because even this came out in 1994 and it's the movie starts in 1947 seven 
So it's like even then they're talking about a prison system that probably doesn't exist in that form anymore. So I was kind of like, what? Is this a commentary on the system? Like, it can't be. It's too old. So I guess the only thing that you can take away from this is the length of time that people stay in prison or like life sentences. Well, and the funding for books and library, kind of, that aspect right, of right. like, we're only spending money on bars and yeah. walls. And I think, I think the, you know, the Brooks, the Brooks uh, being paroled plot, uh, subplot, like really, yeah, that really got to me. Cause I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like this guy made a mistake when he was a young man and he's getting out 50 years. That's your life. Your Actually, life's gone. I didn't really like, that part confused me because on the one hand, like we're talking about his arc, right? And how he is hopeless and he just hangs out and adapts. But then when he finally gets out, it's because he like gives less of a crap. It's like, that's the third interview. In the previous two interviews with the parole board, he's been like, I've, Hey, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm, I'm not a threat to society. I'm, I'm totally rehabilitated. And then the third time he goes, I don't give a damn. Whatever. I think okay, whatever I, you guys, and then yeah. that's when they let him go. I, I, that's I, I. When I said I don't give a damn, I guess I was minimizing it a little bit. I remember it in my head being way more like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. <laughs> but he thought. really is like. I think he shows a lot more uh, regret in his authentic portrayal of like, if I could go back and tell that young stupid man to never do it, like. I would do it all differently. That is so much more authentic. And I think that's what they're picking up on is that he's authentically right. looking back being like, I'm a different person. Whereas when you just say, yes, I will never do it again. Yes, I am sorry for it. Like, that's just not real. And I think that's the point more is that he's authentically tapping into that regret and realizing that he's now a different person. He he says that, right? He says that if I could go back and tell my you know younger self to not do it, he says that. But he says it in kind of like a throwaway manner, which is... I think I agree with you, James. It's kind of like not very believable that they would actually parole him. Is this what you're saying? Not quite. <laughs> well, I don't think it's super believable that they would like parole him all of a sudden once it's apparent that he's just like so jaded with the with the system that he's just like, oh, I'm tired of this. Yeah, it is kind of screenwritery <laughs> where it's like, okay, it's the third time it's happened. We've seen it happen twice it's the subversion. same time. Subversion. Frank Darabont was the original Ryan Johnson. Subversion. Subversion. That's Speaking the most of important young, thing. Uh, younger self, did you notice the uh, pictures in his dossier of him, like when he got incarcerated? They're like <laughs> way younger Morgan Freeman pictures. Right, right. That's actually his son. Oh, really? That's his son. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's fun. And his son's in the movie. His son is in the movie in the crowd of people who are yelling like, "New fish, reel him in!" Oh, really? Yeah, he's, he's oh, that's funny. And he was in Seven. <laughs> oh, he's the fingerprint technician. Um, Morgan Freeman's uh, speech in the end was. Man, he didn't blink the whole time. At a certain point during his like little parole speech, I just like decided to watch his eyes to see if he blinks. <laughs> if he blinks, and he does not. Andy Dufresne I was, like, Dang, was my dude. friend. It was, Man, it was real. I think something this movie does really well is like visual storytelling. Like, there's lots of little mm. things. Like, they use aerial shots not just to show cool things, but to be like give a sense of freedom to shot. So the last time you see before Andy grows in, it's an aerial shot. When the music playing, it's an aerial shot. And the I, final the shot la- of the movie, the last scene, the last shot you see before Andy enters the the building of the prison yeah. is a shot looking up to the sky from the perspective of some of him. Mm-hmm. And so if you're walking through the threshold into the door of the prison, you see the blue sky and then the bricks and then we go yep. in. I, that was the first time that I noticed yeah. the cinematography. I in think. This movie. Yeah. And I mean, like it was up for a win and I think it, 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 it got nominated for seven Oscars and, and a one zero. Oh, that would have been rough. That would have wow. been a rough night. You would expect, okay, at least one, at least one. Oh, dang. But like, okay. So this movie, 
I love the way they contrast Brooks' release versus Red's release. And Brooks' yeah. release, the camera's on the outside of the prison looking in. The shadows of the bars follow him as he leaves. It's like a ch- casting a shadow on him. And then, like that whole sequence of Brooks, uh, there's in that sequence, no one looks at him, and except if they're going to scold him. So it's just like you get this sense of isolation and loneliness. And then when he hangs himself, he hangs himself on fucking jail bars. Like those rafters are vertical lines. And it's like mm. it's such a strong visual to be like he's like – He's killed because like he can't leave prison, uh, and then like, uh, I just <laughs> well, I love it. See, that's funny. how is Red's visually different or the so contrast? Red's is from the inside out, uh, and he walks into an open door, so you don't see him behind the bars, and like, uh, it, there's more of a sense of like he if, of excitement for leaving instead of being on the outside trying to look in, and it's just like such a simple thing of where you put that camera, but it tells a lot of the story. Mm. That's pretty cool. I. Yeah, I I found myself not thinking about the cinematography at all in this movie. I don't know. There, I I think it just kind of lacks a. Other than the shot where he is in, uh, where he gets out of the pipe and then he kind of like, cries to the heavens as the rain comes down on him. Like that's the one. That's the one time where I'm like, whoa, that's a shot. But the, every other, I don't even it's think. Pretty safe. About I think it. there's yeah. just like in writing scores for movies. S- Sometimes the best scores draw no attention to themselves. And I think good cinematography kinda can like, be about... Kind of like the fountain score. It uh, draws a lot of attention to itself. Um, I don't know where we're going there. Stop it, Dave. <laughs> Stop it, Riley. Uh, this, the cinematography of this movie serves the tell the story very well. Do you think it's like textbook? Was there an era like somebody nailed cinematography early on and then everyone else replicated it? And then we, as you know, viewers who come later, we start to we internalize it to the extent that it's like, that's what a normal movie looks like. Yes. And so this movie just looks really normal. Totally. It looks kind of immaculate. It's just really well done, but not artistic. Nothing crazy is th- happening. I think there is more subtlety to it. When you sh- shoot on film, it's it's a lot harder than digital. You don't get to this see... This was shot on film? This is a film movie, yes. Uh, you don't get to see what it looks like. You have to take meters and put it at different spots and be like, this is how bright this is. This is how bright this is. And calculate what it's going to look like on the film stock that you're using. There's no viewfinder the you can look f- no. through. No, because you, you, you'd have to process the, the, the film and then view it. So you can't... It's not like digital where you can hit a button and it tells you the, the num- numeric value of the brightness on a screen. You can and see so the histogram and everything. Literally just exposing your scene right is a skill. Whereas now, like, even the dumbest idiot can expose a scene, right? Because you can see what it looks like. Right. And so that's why I, f- I think older movies have less style is because, like, 80% of their brain power is just exposing the movie properly. Right, and right, then right. that 20% can go into telling the story. And I think this movie does that 20%. Uh, but it's not like something like Neon Demon or something where it's like, whoa, crazy. Yeah. Do you I, know this movie's uh, shot on a film just by looking at it? Yeah. Like as soon as it well, starts, or, or did you just know that fact because you looked it up? It's, it's like a combination digital? of the way it looks and then the era. It, digital movies didn't really become a thing until yeah. Star Wars, the prequels. Oh. Those were like the first mainstream big digital movies. Oh, cool. And that's that. why you could have all the CGI monsters in it. <laughs> I think that I think that uh, I agree with one of one of you was saying earlier that this movie just kind of like has the look of a, an old you know classic film or whatever. I I think that I definitely had that feeling while watching it. I was like, what did I write? I was like, this movie is like the template for sappy dramas type of thing. Where where I I you've seen so many parodies of the type of film that the Shawshank Redemption is with like the Morgan Freeman voiceover yeah. and the, and the strings music. And like, it's just, it's just, uh, it's like the first of those t- 
well, not the first, but it's like you know, it's the it's the template. It's for an that. archetype. Yeah, totally. it's an archetype. Yeah, the, uh, the director said that he every week watched Goodfellas to to really understand how to do voiceover and pacing. He modeled it after that movie. Interesting. See, that's interesting. I think. So far, all the, the things we pointed out, I think, are like little nitpicks that add up to like bigger flaws. I found but, one oh, fl- I'm not, flaw. But for me, I'm not saying that's big. the major flaw of this movie is its reliance on narration. And I think people oversee it because mm. uh, Morgan Freeman gives a very good performance, a very charismatic narration. But I think the narration in this movie is just okay. A good narration is either serving to be a clever framing device that'll be revealed at the end or serve as counterpoint to what's going on and add depth to what's going on. But a lot of it's just exposition and telling us what yeah. people are, are saying. And like, that's kind of bad filmmaking. Well, a lot of it's internal, though, when he says things like, well, I, you know, you might interpret Andy's behavior as being, you know, placating the people around him trying to get in with the boys. But I think that he really just did it to... To feel human again, or to feel like a man. Totally, no, it so, did reveal something. Yeah, yeah, that's, but that's internal. You can't. Yeah, but good filmmaking. That, but that's then you're writing a book, and that's like the big criticism of a voiceover book. It's an adaptation. <laughs> exactly, but a good so, movie can tell a story visually. Film is a visual media, and you can absolutely have good narrations, like films like Fight Club or Adaptation, where they're using narration to tell the story, not just give information that visually they're failing to do or failing to give within the scenes. Uh, I find this movie, not only does it give thematic stuff, which is fine. I think when you kind of give more emotional thematic ideas to narration, that's fine. But it also like gives you really simple information like, it had been a month since this thing happened. And I'm that like, was pretty good. Hey, that was pretty good. I don't fault them for that, man. A lot of time passes. It's kind of... I think you get a free pass. But okay, so then why don't they age the actors in this movie? I thought that was such a weird choice that they don't. They did age. a little bit. It seemed like. Um, Do you yeah. think? I they, can they tell. gave Andy some kind of silver, slicked back hair eventually. And he had glasses. Yeah. I wasn't trying to say that the movie was bad because, like, I didn't notice the, the the cinematography or because the narration was basic or the 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 music was kind of basic. I think that that is like, I, I guess I don't know. I don't have the movie history to really know whether this. Those those things that we see in the movie are because it's old and because this was like the first time we saw some of these things. Like, is this the first big Morgan Freeman narration movie? Because he did a, he did that a bunch after. But yeah, that's this first big narration, right? So it's like I don't know if I I don't know if I'd expect this movie to really break new ground in in terms of either cinematography or music or narration or whatever because it's con- it's in that it's in that section for me which is like. Oh, it's an old movie. Yeah. You know, you watch you watch uh, the black and white ones, and you're kind of like not expecting Inception level mind bending rotating hallways because that's just the way it is. So I I think watching it, I kind of got that a little bit, but also that's why I was bored a little bit too. I was bored at the end, the last like <clears throat> when Morgan Freeman's character Red is free, and it's mm. just, I, okay, it was past my bedtime. I was fighting to stay awake, <laughs> but I just felt like get to the tree already. Holy cow! Yeah, that was, I I had that same thought. I was like, this is taking a while. They're really taking their time with this. They Relishing. probably could have shaved fifteen minutes. Like. I agree. I think this movie is a bit a little bit too long, uh, and it would be better served if they trimmed a little bit. Although it's not super clear to me where they would cut. I think the first hour would be the most. Yeah, I guess cut right the, the courtroom it. scene into a one-minute sequence instead of like a five-minute one. Mm. Oh, there's one cool thing at the beginning of the movie that I, I I don't know why. I just noticed it right away before I knew anything else about the movie. When it started and the opening the opening credits, I was looking at the font of the opening credits, and it's a serif font. 
It's mm-hmm. a kind of elegant, nice-looking font. Right. And there's a nice, uh, elegant song playing. A female vocalist, like a ballad, kind of sad, but very haughty, you know? Uh-huh. And I just immediately thought, this vibe, this, like, civilized vibe of everything I'm seeing and hearing right now, this is characterization. And this is Andy. And then he's even, there's actually a shot when he steps out of his car of his, like, nice polished shoe. Right. And I just thought that was really cool that even the, the like, the meta aspects of the movie were characterizing Andy. See, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I mentioned this earlier, um, but then we didn't really talk about it much. I didn't really love the fact that one of the takeaways you could take away from this movie is that (laughs) Andy is educated and wealthy and smart. And so he goes into the prison system and teaches everybody how to be. They don't know, you know? If you're a if you're a white Hey, this is my SJW moment, guys. I'm sorry. One second, okay? But I couldn't I couldn't avoid it. It's like he everyone's like, "Oh, he's the wealthy to-do guy. He's, he thinks he's better than us." And but then it turns out that he is, you know, like a word on race. I don't love that. Did you notice that, like that whole jail is white? There's like two black guys yeah, in the whole right. thing. And in the book, the character Red is white. He's an uh, like an aging Irish guy, which yeah. is why they put that joke in. And then he's like, why do they call you Red? And he's like, oh, maybe it's because I'm Irish. Because they just kept that joking because they thought it was funny, <laughs> right. given that it was being delivered by a black char- or actor. It was kind of weird. I, I just assume, I think the whole movie... I don't know a ton about the demographics of prisons at that time, but I would assume that there should be more black people. Whoa. What? Jeez. You really backed yourself into a corner now. We can't. All right. You're should in a PC not, pretzel. Should we not include that? That's <laughs> no, not a bad. No, no, no. no. James joking. is being a dick. No, but I, 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 what I want to say is that it's almost like glaringly absent of race relations. Mm. This movie, maybe that's why a lot of people like it, because like it, it deals with more kind of universal things to think about in terms of going to jail. There's really no comments yeah. on race at all. Red's, this, Red's blackness has no impact. He doesn't on get character. discriminated against from yeah. the guards. There's no n words thrown around. Right. There's no like you're like the, this click and this click are yeah. friends with whoever. There's none of it. It's a colorblind movie. It's the oh, dream wow. of the nineties. <laughs> that <laughs> we don't 90s. see color. I have a question for you guys. Do you guys know lots about 1947 pawn shops? Almost everything. I feel like I'm about to learn a new thing. <laughs> no, I'm going to ask you guys. Do you think that compasses and guns were on display in the window of, of 1947? When did they go to It's shop? a little bit later, I guess. Brooks, when that he's released. 1960 something. Oh, 1965. You're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. Because Morgan Freeman, he's having his kind of Brooks moment where he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And he walks by a pawn shop and it goes down and it's the window of the pawn shop and it's guns. And then it pans up to a compass. This, and I'm I, like, I don't think need, that's what's in pawn shops. Need, I, I do. Honestly, I do. Yeah? I do. Yeah. We need American. They don't have GPS, and it's America. Like, that's totally reasonable. Yeah. We, we need an American. We need John to, to tell us whether this is a believable thing. Yeah, Americans, please tell you us. You definitely wouldn't have guns in pawn shops up here in Canada. Okay, so that's, you wouldn't do that. Not a decent person, anyway. <laughs> My other thing that I wondered thematically of this movie is... So at the end, it's revealed that Andy wants to go to Zihuataneo uh, and that uh, Red's going to meet him there. And he says, like, I want to go there because the Pacific has no memory. Or the, the, the Mexicans believe that the Pacific has no memory. The Atlantic, on the other hand, never forgets. What thematic reason do you think there is to the Pacific having no memory? I, I found that interesting choice, but I couldn't, like, wrap my head around 
how that ties into the theme? Mm, I think obviously the idea of of a having no memory is a, appealing to these men who have been saddled with their past actions. I think in terms of that uh, uh, directly relating to the ocean, I, I, I mean, I just took it to mean that the ocean is so huge and vast, you can't know its depths, you can't know what's on the other side of the horizon, so that, that was enough of a parallel for me. But I'm not even sure if it needed one. To me, it was just like, we're going somewhere far away, clean slate, no one's going to know us. That's fair. Yeah. That's it. And scuba diving. That's going to be great and hot and awesome. <laughs> funny. I had two questions about theme, and the other one was like, what do rocks mean in this movie? But I actually... In my research, I found out. Oh, uh, I didn't even think about rocks that. are often used like as an image in like existential uh, images, where rocks are rocks and people shape rocks, uh, and so it's kind of going with the theme of like you are what you make yourself, and the constant talk of rocks and stones and everything is about how like you can be a rock and you can just sit there and be placed and shaped by God, or you can be a human, a free man, oh, and shape yourself, and that's why they always talk about rocks man. in this movie. Nice. They're constantly being shaped and, and digging you, that little oh, hole out of your cell and then oh, descending on top of that like sewer pipe that you, you can break into in yeah. three strikes of a rock. I wrote that as God, a there's note. lightning and thunder right Man, now. Man, what a nit... I, I wrote that nit. down as a nitpick because I'm like, what do you mean you could... You just three hits with a rock and then we see the hole after. It's like a perfect hole. <laughs> it's a good thing the diameter of this pipe is big enough for my body. Yeah. Do you guys know what the sludge was? Sludge? The sludge. What it was thing? made of? It was chocolate syrup. Delicious. Oh, wow. So apparently that pipe still smells like chocolate to this day. What are you talking about? Where is about? that pipe today? <laughs> I don't know. You know. IMDb trivia. Why did you know that? <laughs> that was on a uh, soundstage they shot all that stuff. Yeah, so, like, and it, people pay to this day to swim through the chocolate pipe. <laughs> this is the Shawshank pipe. Uh, it gets used every season. It's so. an unverifiable facts. Gene Wilder's on the other side. Yeah. How did the, you get through? The other There's one just was... a fan. There's a fan <laughs> on one end, and you walk by the other end and go, ah. Oh, man. So I think I know the answer, but uh, do you guys think that this is the best movie of all time absolutely Ooh, depends no. on uh, when you're gonna use it if it's like hey i'm in a room full of people i don't know and i don't want to look bad but i want to put a movie on how about shawshank guys oh, i would never put this movie safe. on very safe yeah i guess so so boring. boring though you're a boring person if you put on shawshank redemption i, I you gave it an 8.9 it's a good movie yeah and i think it's a very strong package very easily digestible uh, I think it serves an intellectual purpose, an emotional purpose, but it's also like entertaining. And like yeah. I think that even though it's two hours and twenty minutes, and it might lose serve to lose a little bit of money, I'm thoroughly satisfied uh, when everyone's getting their due. Mm, and that's yeah. like a good movie to me. It's a good movie. It was a box office failure. Oh, it's definitely was it? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. It got a little. It barely. It didn't even make enough to pay for itself. And then it got a bunch of Oscar nominations. Made a little more, but uh, overall. <laughs> Not too mm. much. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed it. It's it's definitely a good movie. I think I was just kind of like, I don't know. I, I, I would have liked to be gripped a bit more. I saw a nice sentiment. I love being gripped. <laughs> Hold me. <laughs> I saw a nice sentiment on Reddit. Somebody was uh, explaining why they really love this movie uh, in the face of the OP who was like, this movie kind of sucks. And this person said that they find Andy really inspiring when they face adversity in their own life. They mm. think like, you know, all you need to do is just take action. It might take you 50 years right. or 20 years or whatever, but a little bit of concerted effort and taking an active role in your life and you can succeed right. in the end. Yeah, The That's ideal fair. to strive towards. Andy Dufresne. Guys, and, I found Andy. the one negative IMDb review of this movie. Oh. It comes from Cam Thomas oh, from no, IMDb. Here we go. 
What's wrong with the vast number of IMDb users that they would vote so highly in favor of such a piece of trite? My theory... Piece of trite? That doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's an adjective. Cam Thomas is always right. My theory, Tim Robbins is sending each of you a check. That's the only explanation. Wow. This movie achieves what few in history have done. It both sucks and blows. (laughs) Oh, okay. He totally redeemed himself. Talk about Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Jeez, uh, tripe, I guess. It must have been tripe. Tripe, that's, that's stomach lining. Um, <laughs> menudo soup in Mexico. Tripe, tripe that's stomach lining. I, have you had menudo? All you Mexicans listening, tripe. email me, get at me, Mexicans, because tripe, <laughs> menudo soup sucks. I'm still chewing on Whoa. it. I tried it once, still in my Is mouth. It a stomach? Dang, dude. It's tripe soup, yeah. Okay, it's gross. Bad. Hey, good. do you have any other reviews from perhaps our own listeners? Oh, so you interesting read? you ask. Ricky the Buddha writes on Apple Podcasts, five stars, great podcast. It's good to hear another group of idiots argue with each other online about their opinions on things. Excuse me? <laughs> Keep up the entertaining podcast. It's great fun to listen to. Wait. Ricky the Buddha, the body of a god. <laughs> <laughs> love, love to be an entertaining idiot for you, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. We read those things out because we want to encourage you guys to rate the podcast because it helps our podcast get in front of more people. And if that happens, maybe one day we'll be making money. And if that happens, <gasps> maybe one day Linus will give us a room to be in. <laughs> and maybe we can spend more time on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. And increase the production value and all sorts of stuff. Soundboards. <laughs> more soundboards. Who Assistance. knows? Jake could be our slave working the soundboard. Two podcasts a week. <laughs> ah. The, Can you imagine? The, the possibilities. I would love to do this just full time. It'd be sweet. So write us, guys. We got a ton of emails this week. Thank you, everybody. Some of them, though, I don't remember what Riley said, but there was a handful of emails that were like, Riley told me to do this so high. <laughs> I was like, was at that the, on Twitter? At the end of last episode, I was like, if you're watching this, write a review right now. But I was definitely joking, but thank you, everyone. Also, you. yeah, I think maybe you meant write a, a review on your podcast app of the podcast. Sorry, not a re- I didn't say write a review. I said write us, write in. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening right now. Right on, bro. Right on. Well, they yeah. should write us. It's very fun. And lots yeah. of great feedback and lots of good mailbag questions. And I think that we're going to, guys, we're doing it. We're going to do the mailbag episode oh next goodness. episode. Next week. Woo! We're going to see how you guys like it. I'm excited. Me too. I love I love digging into the old mailbag. So it's your last it's your last uh, few days to get your questions in for the mailbag episode. Please um, think outside the box. We already got we got lots of great questions that have to do with like what's your favorite movie? How do you like to watch the movies? How do you prepare for this podcast? Stuff like that. So um, is a hot dog a sandwich? Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. Oh, do you wash your legs when you shower? I want some funny oh. stuff. Like that. I have a whole treatise I wrote on that. We say treatise every episode, I think. <laughs> uh, so if you want to get at us, carpoolcriticspodcast at gmail.com. And yes, it's the Gmail address. Somebody yelled at me. At, someone emailed us to tell us how unprofessional that is. What? Whatever, man. Oh, it is what you think it is. You need. We need, we need the money. Know. To have a real car at Carpool Critics? Is that what we want? That's going to cost us at least 40 bucks a year. Yeah. (laughs) You can also find us on Twitter at Carpool Critics. Do it. Do it now. Love you. Love you. (laughs) 